Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 82, I Want My Flying Car, recorded February 10th, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. The title of the show has nothing to do with the content of the show, but dead gummit, it's 2013, and I want my flying car. No I, bit, I was promised it by 2000, and I never got it. I think it's like on back order at the post office, and since they're oh. dropping Saturday delivery, we're never going to get them. So <laughs> go figure. That Saturday delivery thing bit me, by the way, because I was expecting to get something this weekend, and it hasn't come yet, and I'm mad about that. But, but that's, that's not supposed to start till June. I know, but I can Saturday. still whine about it now, can't I? Well, yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's the government. <laughs> so, uh, my name is Mark, and the guys here with me are Chris and Seth, Mister Command Line Godfather, Chris Neves. Hiya, brother. Hey, hey, hey! How goes it today? Oh, I think I just might make it. And also, you might the gooey kid, Mister Seth Anderson. Hiya, Seth. Hello, everyone. Welcome, <sighs> welcome, welcome. I think somebody just dropped a bowling ball above my head there. That's the, you never know what goes on when you come down to the basement. But, you know, you have good noise cancellation because I did not hear it. No, so. no, you wouldn't hear it. The fancy uh, DBX. Um, oh, I was going to rattle off the name of it, but I forgot. So never mind. <laughs> DX266, I think it is. Something like that. Anyway. Um, it's doing its job, huh? Before we go too far, we have a birthday in the midst. Not today, but at the end of the week. The command line godfather will be a, a 24-year-old. Finally old enough to, I don't know, do something. How old will you be, Chris? Uh, let's see. Um, 33. 33 years young. Yes, sir. Uh, Seth, do you remember 33? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> the, my, all my 30s just kind of uh, ran together. I was 20-something and I was 40. Yeah, it was that hard that hard decade of binge drinking that must have done it for yeah. me. Yeah. Darn well, at least water. I don't have to worry about that one. <laughs> binge eating, maybe. Yeah, okay. I, I could go with binge okay. eating. So. That I can go with. A nice baking coma just really helps the time <laughs> go by. Nice. My 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 middle child, eight year old daughter, today. We were uh, um, trying to decide where to go to have lunch, and uh, the 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 four year old wanted to go to Cracker Barrel and Ooh. and uh, the rest of the family didn't really care to go. To, I mean, it was okay and fine, but she said, but they have bacon there. And my eight-year-old <laughs> said, I don't care about bacon. And I said, bite your tongue. We will not have that kind of language in my household. <laughs> You're not. See, what happened to my daughter? There will be no <laughs> blasphemy in my family. I don't care about bacon. I don't have to worry about that. My daughter would eat a pound of bacon a day if I would let her. Easily. Yeah, but she wanted the calamari, so we went to Joe's Crab Shack. So uh, in her world, <laughs> that was quite a reaction there, Mr. Anderson. <laughs> uh, yuck. I just, you know, it's one of those things. I just, the concept of it, I will not try it. So, Oh, it's wonderful stuff. Yeah, so, calamari is really awesome. One of the few I'll things of fish that I can eat anymore. Yeah, I'll trade you your bait, my calamari for your bacon yeah. if you like it that much. So I had a free coupon, or, or not a free, all coupons are free, right? You don't pay for coupons. I had a coupon for a free appetizer at Joe's Crab Shack. So my seven ninety five coupon cost me 50 bucks. You know, the, that's those tricksy hobbitses. 
because I went there for my free appetizer and ended up paying $50 because that's what you pay yep. when you take a family of five to Joe's Crab Shack. That's right. Enough buzz marketing for Joe's Crab Shack. Uh, <laughs> what else is going on? Seth, uh, you are going to do your patriotic duty this week. Yes, I am scheduled to have jury duty tomorrow. And uh, when the show's over and I get back home, look at the form, call it and see if it's been canceled or not. So I, it's kind of like, you know, will I or won't I have jury duty? I don't know yet. But I do know this. If you show up for jury duty, you can wear blue jeans that are holes and ripped up and barely hanging on by a thread and a wife beater shirt that's just ripped to pieces and you're totally all right. You can show up in a polo style shirt and docker shorts and be sent home for disrespecting the court. <laughs> Do you know so, that from personal experience? <laughs> yeah. Like this, you know, it was summer in East Texas and you know, the county I live in's idea of jury summons is be here by 830, but we're not going to do anything till 10 and we're going to sit around till after lunch before we actually do something. And so, and it's in a courthouse. So I was like, you know, last time I sweated my butt off, so I'm going to wear shorts and be comfortable. Well, nope, I wore shorts and I got sent home. So I was just like, well, fine. Can you like give me a little thing on letterhead saying I was here and, you know, so I can get credit for it at work. And uh, so I might just do that tomorrow. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You, I would wear shorts to jury duty every time if I knew it was no that kidding. easy. Yeah, but you know, the thing is, I wanted to be on because I I want to be on a jury. I just I want to, you know, at least once. Uh, and I'm torn between that and the fact that I won't get paid for not showing up for work. Um, yeah, so. see, that's the thing. If if you're on salary, um, they have to pay you. They can't dock your pay. Uh, so if you if you're a salary guy then sure, show up for for jury duty. I mean, why not? You don't have anything right, to do. Yeah. But if you're a, a contract worker or an hourly worker, that five bucks a day they pay you for jury duty doesn't cover anything. No, it covers the lunch you go to, basically. You know, because you can go to McDonald's. Right. For I think we get either eight or ten in Vansant County, so they really, they treat us right. Huh. So I've, I've been called to jury duty twice, uh, one time, the, this most recent time, I, I went, I had just had laser surgery on my eyes, and I had to put eye drops in every 14 minutes, or 15 minutes, rather. Mm. Um, 14, that was a random number to pull out of there. But yeah, every 15 minutes, because I had just been like, this was on Monday, and I'd had the surgery on Friday. Um, bad planning on my part. And so I was going to tell the judge, you know, look, if, if you don't mind me putting eye drops in my eyes four times an hour, I'm here. But I think I might be a little bit distracting. But we all came, and there were like a hundred of us they'd called for a jury of, of 12 and we sat there for about an hour and the judge came in and said uh you may all go home the court was just the case was just settled when the guy saw that there were actually juries here and we were going to do this Jeez. Uh, <laughs> and uh, one other time i was called for jury duty and i forgot i just <gasps> didn't go you know oh. what happens when you forget about jury duty bad things so um uh, a friend of mine saw me the following Sunday at church and said, uh, they called your name a jury duty and you weren't supposed to be there. And I said, yeah, that's not until, holy crap. Yeah. So I went immediately to the judge the next day and said, I'm so sorry. Please don't throw me under the jail. And uh, it was like a $400 fine. It was a big deal. Ooh, $400. Yeah. Wow. I'll don't, don't blow off jury duty, people. No kidding. Yeah, I've been I've been asked for jury duty. I think I've gotten a summons probably twice so far in my entire life. 
And the first one, I would have had to drive to Billings because it was a federal case, which is about four hours away. Wow. And the day before I was supposed to go, I got a, a, a couriered leather, you know, signature on demand, on, re- on recept, saying that ju- the, the case was settled and I didn't have to go. So it was kind of crazy that that actually happened. That's, wow. Yeah, because eight-hour round trip every day would have been unpleasant. Well, if it's a federal, you might have got sequestered, and so you know I you would have just stayed there. Oh, that would I would have sucked. They 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 actually put that in the letter when they sent it to me that I would have been sequestered into a room, and you know the only thing that I would have been allowed to carry with me was my wallet. So uh, what do you do? You spend all night looking up stuff online for the case. No, you can't <laughs> look online. You don't have yeah. You don't have an internet when you're sequestered. They don't even let you watch TV. You no, got, but yep. before you go, you okay. know, the night before you go, you're looking up the cases in the area and say, oh, is this the one where it's so-and-so and so-and-so? <laughs> yes, you can go. Fry the freak! Fry him! Oh, I'm sorry. This is a jaywalking case? I didn't know. Ah. Anyway. But yeah, the, the, the only, let's see. The other time I was uh, sent a questionnaire and then they sent, uh, the next day came another mail, uh, another letter saying, forget that one. Just disregard. Never so like, mind. Oh, okay. So uh, the UK sends helicopter drones into war zones that are about three inches long. Yeah, they fit in the palm of your hand and look like a toy. But I don't know. I think it's kind of cool. You know, it's kind of. I guess it's the future of warfare here today. You can you can launch it. I don't really know how you launch it, and that small, I don't know how long it could stay in the air, but you know, it can like take still pictures or video and back to a terminal. So, you know, you can have your own little aerial reconnaissance, personal aerial reconnaissance. Is it running Linux, or did you just think it was cool and put it in the notes? I just, well, I stuck it in the warm up because I just thought it was cool. Although, for something that size, I'm pretty sure it's not Windows. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want to trust the national defense to the blue screen. So yeah, there's a cool picture of it. It's uh, um, about four inches long, and weighs you know a couple of ounces. And yeah, so that's sixteen grams. Yeah, this isn't the uh, the uh, death Predator. drones yeah. that uh, that the the military the uh, political pundits are on about. You know, this isn't the thing that's going to destroy people in an automated fashion. It's just a tiny camera. It's kind of cool. right. Yeah, I wouldn't mind having one of those in my house to fly around. That'd be kind of fun. I actually have one of those those Sima well, yeah helicopters. I got a couple of those. I fly them around work. Um, well, right, but I wonder if you them. could program it to make a certain loop. I don't know. Do you have a fly I, out and go around and come back to you? That'd be kind of cool. As simple as those are, I'm betting they're radio controlled. Well, I'm sure, but it'd be cool to be able to program a, a flight layout in order to take care of your area for you. I had a little toy truck called the 255 computer command when i was eight years old you could do that remember those yeah uh, you could you push like forward 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 each time you push a button it'd go forward a foot and then left and then right and then you could do up to 255 commands hence the name yep it was uh, an 8-bit processor in it sure yeah i had something similar to it mine was shaped like knight rider because you know knight rider was cool back then Night it was Night. still is cool. Was. Yeah, Night Rider yeah. is still cool. You're right. I want a kit. No problem. I would take a kit any day. Yeah, Give me, me too. Kit over, 
Give me Kit over Bluetooth Sync. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You the, know. The annoying personality, I think, would have to go. You know, I saw uh, somebody hacked uh, an Android tablet and made the screen look like the Kit interface. And, uh, you know, had you could punch it and talk and do voice and stuff so you know it didn't have ai but it looked like it you know you could do map google maps on it and so pull up the destination and play music and things like that it was really a pretty neat thing it was like and and he had mounted it took the time to mount it in his car and wired it to the battery so it was always charging and uh i was like <laughs> man now there's a fan <laughs> right there Somebody has too much time and too much money, in my opinion. But I read hey. some time back, I'm sure the internet will correct me on this one, uh, that a guy created, I think it was a KDE theme, that was an exact copy of the uh, Star Trek Next Generation computer interface. I've seen that one, yeah. I think you're right. I think it is KDE. It was pretty, I, I never ran it, but it was, because I'm not that geeky, <laughs> but it was pretty darn cool. I see, if I had that like on uh, a, a tablet, like a cheap tablet, I would put that sucker on the wall just to have the little command thing like they did on Star Trek. You just walk up to it and tap it. That would be awesome. I, I don't care if it does anything or not. It would just be cool. <laughs> A nice 40-inch touchscreen interface, <laughs> you know, mounted inside the wall where you walk up, and that would be so, that would be awesome. Well, no, their, their, little, their little command interfaces were always, you know, five, right. six inches square. Right. Uh, and then they had the long the band that ran along the hallways and like at a point at any point along the line, you could touch those apparently. But yeah, yeah but I, I mean, know, just like a little seven inch tablet would be a perfect copy of that sink it in the wall a little bit. It'd be cool. That would be, <laughs> have it set up to your home automation system. So you have right. to control your lights, have it controlling you like your nest thermostat and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Be cool. Now, now we're spitballing. Now we got some ideas. <laughs> Those are all copyrighted by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, this show is released under the Creative Commons. You're out of luck. So, Chris, tell us about the great data migration of 2013. Oh, yes. I'm having actually a few of those actually right now, both at my home, my home office, and my work office are all in the, are in the process of migrating from one NAS to another. Um, because of size requirements have changed and um, personally, I've had some issues with the current NAS software that we're running uh, at work. We're running Unraid from LimeTech, and they're a great company, and the guy's been really great with me. Um, but we're setting up a secondary box for mirroring of the two uh, once we get the one that everything's on back up, hence the migration. Yes. Unraid is uh, is is... BD, BSD based, isn't it? <clears throat> oh, I'm not. Sh I think so. I think that's what's underneath. Um, I really don't spend too much time tinkering with it because it's one of those things I don't want it to ever go down, even though it is down. I, but, may, be, uh, I may be thinking of FreeNAS. One of those is BSD based, or maybe both. FreeNAS is FreeNAS is for sure. I know that one is. Um, and then here at the home office and the home itself, I'm balancing between two of them that I haven't decided which one I'm going to move to. Uh, right now, it's just sitting on its own, one of those uh, D-Link NAS box things that you buy from Best Buy. You mean you run a Linux home network? Yeah, just a little bit. Amazing. Maybe we should do a show about that. Yeah, you should be on a podcast about Linux or something. That would be cool. Well, maybe I should. That would be great. 
So the topic of this week's show, assuming we ever get there, in, uh, inspired by um, Richard Shortland, if I, I hope, hope it's okay to use your name, Richard, because uh, I just did, <laughs> whether it is or not. You didn't say one or the other. Yeah. Um, uh, he, he posed the topic, why don't you guys talk about uh, doing a home network, a, a Linux-based home network? And I thought, you know, we've talked about that all the components of it before we've talked about running linux in a home network but uh those topics you know it was a while back and we never really talked about it you know as a show topic so i thought sure why not there uh, uh we'll do that so the the show uh, tonight is going to be about uh Lin- a home network with linux at its core and it'll be interesting because uh things have changed considerably since the last time we talked about it just as the world is is shifting more toward the cloud it'll be interesting to see uh how our thoughts have changed for example well we'll talk about that in a minute but first um let's talk about a little um tech news um just a little bit right just a few (laughs) just a few yeah Yeah, we don't we don't do much news on this show we like to keep it light so So who needs dial-up (laughs) <laughs> yeah i just uh, i came across this story just today that aol still has over three million people who use dial-up and for if you're out in the country that's really a lot of times that's your only choice because satellite can be super expensive uh and then there's a lot of lag and latency there and so aol you know or not just aol but dial-up can be your only access now you can't really do anything over dial-up, but you know you can have it. So they still have three million people. Uh, that's just that's a lot, and it's like that's just a lot of money. So uh, over a yeah, hundred and fifty million dollars a year. Yeah, and that was in no, that was a quarter. Excuse me, a quarter. Uh, right, six hundred million dollars a year. Right, that's a lot of money. Wow. So yeah, I mean, there have been times when I've in been out tethering. Uh, no, excuse me. I don't tether. That would be illegal because I didn't pay for it. Uh, allegedly, friends that I know might have been out tethering their phones on the old Edge network from the B, V, and V network. Um, and uh, that was bad. Anyway, uh, and sometimes those are just as, you know, if the dial-up would be faster than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you live... You know, in a rural area, Seth knows. I mean, Seth has allegedly bandwidth, uh, broadband. He pays a broadband fee for it. Um, yeah. And, man, today I was at home uh, downloading some stuff, and my downloads jumped up to for a few minutes to like 75K a second download. I was like, why can't you ever do this when I need it? When I need <laughs> it, I'm getting four or five uh, excruciating. But it was actually pretty decent today. So AOL is still alive and kicking. I wonder if they still use the you've got mail thing. I'm sure that was what made them yeah. popular. Yeah. Well, AOL was like um, a BBS that had internet access. That that was their first claim to fame. Like CompuServe and those guys, they weren't, you know, the internet was just one of the things they offered. I wonder if that's still the way it goes. Yeah, didn't they had their whole aren't they the ones that originally had like the terminals that connected to their network and you had like this great AOL network that really wasn't the internet kind of right. yeah. yeah and then eventually it became just an aspect of the internet. Uh and yeah. what's what's amazing is we all know somebody 
I don't know if you're if you're 35 or older, you know somebody that got a $700 plus phone bill because they were on AOL and they thought it was free because they got that disc yep. that was you know a hundred hours free and they were calling right. long distance. You kids don't know that you used to have to pay for long distance. It was true. Yeah. And if you lived out in the country and the city you lived in was 2,000 people, there was only 2,000 people you could call without it being long distance. You know, and then eventually it got to kind of the county area, and now you just pay like $50 a month for having a phone, whether you use it or not. So, You know, (laughs) I I used to live in a small town where where Joe Montana could have thrown a football from one town city hall to another, but it was long distance to call there. You know, right that's that's the way it was i say joe that's montana because i couldn't have but uh, right. joe could have <clears throat> oh that's because joe was joe that's right <laughs> um reminds me yeah of, we just i was uh, gonna say I, we just got a notice in the mail today saying that our broadband <laughs> the uh theoretical value of our broadband is going up to 15 megs up so, to well, right yeah those, those magic words Yep. Yeah, up to my car gets up to 500 <laughs> miles per gallon. I mean, up to going downhill with the engine idling, you can do yes. it. Yes. Um, Being towed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it gets up to 500 miles per gallon. One of the amazing new things about the the new Windows uh, interface with Windows Phone and Windows 8 and and Windows 8 Pro and the Surface tablet and all that sort of stuff is is that you have this unified environment where you can write one program and it works across every... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that's a lie. Um, but Microsoft is saying that it hopes to not be quite such a lie in the near future. Yeah, they actually have a, a job posting for someone who can come and make their cross platform unity a reality um i did not link to the uh actual post but it was i mean you know that was one of the whole benefits now at least they kind of look the same you know you have your windows phone and your windows 8 i haven't really seen the windows phone because you know it's windows phone and why would you want to see it but um and i've seen windows 8 and i went back to windows seven because it was windows eight. Um, but you know, they kind of look the same now and they want to make them the same under the hood. And it would be really cool for Microsoft to have an app work across all their environments instead of having separate ones. So they could be, you know, it would give, it would make somebody maybe want to develop for them. But the other question then is if, if they ever do get this thing to pull off, would they charge you for every instance that you want to run it on? Yeah, if you actually read the article, they're not saying that there's going to be one program that runs on everything. They're saying that there will be different versions of the program, and they'll have some sort of interface, some sort of sync, so that if you download an app on your computer, it'll all the Windows Phone version will be downloaded on your phone, and the Windows Tablet version will be downloaded on your tablet. Not that it's cross-platform code. Not that it's one program to rule them all. No, no, no. Yep. They just want to sync it up so that when you buy something, it's bought everywhere. <laughs> that well, that's a little bit of putting lipstick on a turd right there well no kidding you know if i it would be cool to have access to the to the same program across all my devices with only one purchase um now is is this going to make me run out and buy something that microsoft does you know not unless they make a better product but um you know, I don't, I don't know. I personally, I don't like the idea of having the exact same program across everything because of phone 
while it is powerful, it's not nearly as powerful as a computer. You're either dumbing down the computer apps or you're overloading the phones, at least with today's technology. So, uh, so it, it could be not sucky, maybe. <laughs> I just from a developer point of view, you still got to write three programs. Yeah, that's that's what I was getting at. Is that it's still three separate programs, and this, yeah, I don't know. I think that's kind of silly, but. You know, it'd be nice to have a unified look, I guess, to your programs. Right. And uh, in another case of uh, if you if you figure enough, you can make anything true. Apple is the number one PC seller in the world. Yes, uh, according to market researcher Canalys, and they include tablets and um, smartphones in this, and so they give Apple a twenty percent market share. Um, followed by HP and Lenovo, each with about 15. And Samsung makes it up to fourth place, and Dell's not even in the top five. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I think it's kind of cool that they are taking into account that you have PCs that aren't, ju- you know, because a tablet, you can do a lot of stuff with a tablet, and the phones, you can do a lot of stuff with them. You know, it's kind of cool to have it all in one. I don't, I don't know if, I wonder. If how right their numbers are, I, I honestly don't know. So take them at face value, but I just I think it's cool because you know you have the computer people, and computers are still maybe the number one market as a whole, but they're not as great. Um, it's not a great percentage of all the technology as it used to be, and uh, so it's kind of nice to see the other platforms getting their day and being recognized in this kind of in the same field the only thing i call bs on is that they use the term pc to mean tablets and phones and computers and and yet they have to use they have to use that broad a term to be able to write the headline that apple's the number one pc manufacturer right but the fact is they're that they're not they're computers if they had used the word computer i'd be okay with it right um but <clears throat> pc has a specific connotation and that means a desktop machine now, yeah. technically, it means personal computer, and, and you don't get more personal than a, than a phone. I get that. But still, you're, you're redefining a term to make your numbers work. Yeah. yeah, and the picture, the caption of the picture says, right now, the iPad mini is fueling Apple's market dominance. So since when is 20% market share dominance? <laughs> you know, I mean, man, I dominate, I guess. Uh, but a so, yeah. bacon. Yeah, twenty percent. While they are the leader, and you know, but when number two and three combined are bigger than number one, I would you know call them the leader, but I wouldn't say they're dominating. Um. So anyway, there you go. Just more numbers because you know, Element OP, we're all about numbers, and you know, there's only three lies in the world: lies, damn lies, and statistics. There you go. So I think wasn't that uh, Mark Twain? Yes. And what will probably fall under the category of damn-wise, Microsoft says they're going to port Office to Android. Yeah, that is a... Yeah. Well, no, actually, Android, is my understanding, has already been announced, and they're actually doing it. The rumor, the current rumor, is that they're going to port it to Linux as well. Yeah, I think they're both lies. I don't think Microsoft is going to port Office to Linux. Now, they may port... Um, a reader, a a, uh, a 
an interface that can read office documents but because you know there are 50 of those out there already probably 500 in the app store already they just don't have one with their name on it so i think they're going to call that office for android and it's a read-only interface just like you know pick one polaris office or or um you know any one of a dozen others out there I think Microsoft is in the business to make money and Android is the number one most popular phone OS. So if you're a software company whose desire is to make money, how are you going to neglect the largest software market? I mean, I could say it's not going to be a full blown version of office, but I think they're going to have some creating and editing capabilities. Well, here's here's my reason. Here's my reason. I don't think they're going to do it. Because that's the only hook that's going to get people to buy Windows phones and tablets. They're going to put full-blown Office with uh, with full-on edit capability uh, into the Windows 8 OS. That's right. going to be on Surface, and it's going to be on uh, Windows uh, 8 Pro, or Surface Pro, rather, which, by the way, sold out in seconds online, which just means they had a small number in-house. It doesn't necessarily mean that they were popular. I love it when people say that. We sold out! We only had seven in stock, but we sold out in 15 minutes. Anyway, um, the but more I, are available now, right? I think they're going to, um, to make that the hook. That's going to be the linchpin look office in your pocket and you can right. only get it right here on windows eight, but on Android, just to, you know, to feed the, the, the masses a little, we're going to give you a read only interface or we're going to give you a, uh, a limited interface stripped with, down. you know, yeah. yeah, super stripped down. You know, you can you can only edit the text and not the formatting, you know, things like that. Uh, you know, something like Google Office, uh, Google Docs can do now. Um, but that that's kind of what I think, uh, that that's going to be their hook. They're going to put something out there just to say that they're on every uh, interface, uh, but they're not really going to do it, at least the mobile office. Now, um, Office on Linux, I think they will probably take a shortcut and spin up a, a special uh, version of Wine that they've tweaked and package that with it and call it Office on Linux, like well, Steam and, and everybody else is doing. Yeah. Or, you know, it could just they could just take their Office 365 online thing and kind of put a wrapper right. around it. So um, for either Android or um, Linux or both, you know, so I mean, of course, you know, I think my understanding is the office online isn't quite the full capabilities of office, but it's pretty good. And, um, so, you know, I don't know. I just, I, I don't see how they can neglect such a large market has, you know, Android and be in the business of developing software. Well, I, on the thought of putting, Microsoft Office on Linux, um, you know, I, I don't think they're going to even come close to that one with all the other horses in the in the in the race already. You know, with LibreOffice and OpenOffice and all right. the other ones. Um, so I think that w- that would be a dead horse to go fighting with. But uh, <laughs> when it well, comes to like, Mark, <laughs> my motion sensor light went off. I had to get it to come back on. Ah, that that explains the little dance that we just yes, saw. Um, yes. But when it comes to people like Steam, uh, Steam's a full full Linux app. It's not a uh, wind now. Right. It was, but now it is not. Right. 
So well, see, and that, you bring up another point. There's already LibreOffice and KOffice and those others. If you get used to using them in one, then you can go on Windows. Why even use Office? Yeah. If you don't, if you abandon one market, then people are going to use what they used in that market when they move to the other one. And so if you don't at least give them something, you know, I think you're just giving up and wrapping up to close out your business. I have not had Microsoft Office installed on any of my personal laptops for about eight years now. I just, I just haven't, and I haven't missed it. I haven't needed it. Right. I've got uh, LibreOffice. Uh, before that, I had OpenOffice. Before that, I had StarOffice. Um, and, uh, you know, and I used Google Docs. I haven't needed it. I, the only computer in the house it's on is the main desktop in the living room, uh, and that's because the uh, Christmas card mail merge document I made, like, in, in 97 is an access database, and mail merge still sucks in LibreOffice. Fix that, guys, would you? Um, so that's that's the only thing I use Office on, and we don't need it. We haven't missed it. Uh, my kids do their homework um, in LibreOffice. They haven't needed Microsoft Office. I haven't had to go download it, um, and you know it's it's just not an issue. So have you guys? I'm sure you guys have heard or at least seen the um, Open Office or LibreOffice is now up to version four. Yes. Yeah, I would say that's that's a new one that we haven't talked about either. The the fact that they've moved up to version 4.0, that's kind of a cool mile, milestone. Yeah, LibreOffice is really gaining steam in not only the number of developers, but you know its product and how good it is. And the last one is supposed it's supposed to be a lot faster. I honestly, I don't yeah. use it enough to be able to comment on like speed and all that kind of stuff because most of my documents I do in Google Docs because right. you know uh, I I don't do anything heavy in documents now. I could honestly say that it is faster. I would say they've cut the startup time for opening up Writer in half, if not more. Really? Yeah, wow. but did they do that by preloading it with the little startup thingy in the corner? I hate it when people do that. They they say it loads fifty percent faster. No, you just made my whole machine boot slower by loading something earlier right <clears throat> well before i turned on the quick starter thing that you're talking about mark um it was still like 50 percent faster okay so and then if you it, then if you if you let the startup thing sit down in the system tray that sh that you know it, say it's three minutes or two minutes to start and then it was one minute now it's 30 seconds with the quick with the quick launcher down there Right, it's fast. I mean, I I was just I was blown away how quick it was because I was popping open a an old Word document that I was tinkering on at work, and yeah, it was like instant open. I was almost because normally I get up and go get a drink when I'm waiting for LibreOffice to open, <laughs> and this one it was right. open so fast that I didn't even get up. Well, hey, Chris, you know one of the things that Microsoft really excels at is if your document crashes. When you open it back up, it's there. Uh, does Libra? How is that in LibreOffice, or have you experienced that? Um, I've only had LibreOffice crash out on me a couple of times, uh -huh. and there was um, there was backed up data um, saved. So I mean, I didn't lose. You know, I probably lost about as much as I would in Windows. Yeah, that was going to be my comment too. Is the 
the reason Microsoft got really good at recovering is they got good at crashing. Right. If they had just worked on being more stable, that would have been less of an issue. Uh, well, yeah. And, you know, I mean, even when I've used OpenOffice and LibreOffice in the past, they, they've crashed on me yeah. some too. So, uh, I, but, you know, that's one of the things is, like, even if your computer shuts off, right. you know, power or whatever, you lose power and it just it dies, it comes back up, you have you know, office will say, Hey, you know, this document was not closed out right or whatever. And you can look at it and get your data. Um, and it, it's honestly a very, it's very good and it's very functional in office. And when I used open office routinely and, uh, and that stuff would happen on occasion, it was very elementary and lacking in what it could do. Yeah. That haven't, hasn't been my experience when I've had a corruption or a a failure or my battery goes dead or whatever, uh, LibreOffice and OpenOffice have been able to recover, you know, just as well. Yeah. And see, okay. Um, well, there's also settings though. Like I turn on, um, the very, when I first start working on a document, I go in and I start the, the, um, autosaver timeout. So I, right. every couple of minutes, right. it's doing an autosave off before I even hit the buttons to do it. Right. So I, that's, I lost a numerous amounts of, college papers because i didn't have auto save turned on <laughs> auto save uh, is a good so, thing yeah so i um, yes, that's the very first thing i do on any documents make sure auto save is turned on because i don't want ever ever lo- want to lose something there are two things i do in any app that's configurable as i set the auto save to to very small increments and i set the undo to a very large increment um like in gimp that's one of the few programs where you can set the undo buffer I have that thing at like 999 uh, steps uh, oh, wow. because I, you know, undo is your best friend. Um, right. Audacity, too. I've got that. I think it's uh, almost all the way back to when you open the document. But uh, I, sometimes I've been on like step 37 and realized I screwed up step 26. And you just undo until you're back where you need to be. And you do it and then and then you start. Unfortunately, you can't redo from there. But uh, it's right. a wonderful thing. Uh, speaking of wonderful things, um, Enterprise has decided the iPhone is a wonderful thing, and RIM not so much. That'll be interesting to see. Interested to see how this changes with the new BlackBerry Ten coming out. But according to InfoWorld, the iPhone rules and BlackBerry drools. Yeah, um, I they. They're going by uh, percentages of people who say they plan to support and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and uh, golly, I'm looking right at it and I can't even make out the numbers. Uh, in t- in 2011, BlackBerry was just under 80%. And in 2012, it's dropped to just over 60 um, Apple was about 50 and now it's up to almost 80 and then, you know, Android, they're gaining as well. And Windows is, you know, getting off the starting line in terms of for their mobile devices. Um, and what so, drives yeah. IT adoption, by the way, in case you don't know, if you've never worked in, in a corporate environment, what drives IT adoption has nothing to do with the IT department. It's what the boss gets. All right. right. Yep. The boss gets an iPhone for Christmas. Now the iPhone is supported in the IT department. That is true. That's just the way it goes. Uh, The boss likes his BlackBerry. He's happy with that. Then BlackBerry is supported in the enterprise. The boss gets an Android. Android is supported uh, in the enterprise. 
Uh, and so that I think that that model simply just goes by um, the um, the the old guy syndrome. Frankly, whatever phone the old guy has is what the IT department supports. Yeah, in a yeah. perfect world, which one would you want to support? I get is probably somehow how the question is asked. Yeah, uh, BlackBerry, you know, uh, has made their bread and butter on enterprise le- uh, level encryption and security. And they're still sticking by that. And so in, in, in entities where security is paramount, for example, the government, it's still all BlackBerry. Right. Yeah. And there is no Android and there is no iPhone uh, officially supported. Uh, and I don't see that changing because iPhone is inherently insecure just by the way they're designed because everything goes through the Apple servers. Uh, you can't set up your own server and have anything go through like, like that like you could with a BlackBerry. Yeah, and control does not equal secure. Right. You know, it is an aspect of security, but they are they're not equal aspects. So, you know, just because Apple controls everything doesn't mean it is more secure. You know, it that does give it some strengths, but it gives it weaknesses as well. Uh but Sorry. what what happened is, you know, the, the you had your corporate guys, you had their their corporate sanctioned BlackBerry and then had their iPhone in their pocket too. Right. So you're just carrying yeah. two phones. I mean, everybody I know at work who has a work-issued BlackBerry also has their own phone, either an Android or an iPhone. Right. Um, yeah. And and that's the market that the new BlackBerry 10 OS is is aiming at. We want to make one device that's good enough for personal use, but secure enough for enterprise use, and, and we'll put it all on one device. And whether yeah. they'll do that or not remains to be seen, but that's their play. And it supposedly has like this feature, like it has like a home and a work right. that are, I don't know how they sandbox them or differentiate the two where the IT department controls what's on the work side, but yet you can take it home and load, you know, baby bunny slippers or whatever for your kid <laughs> to do in the car and not bug you for five minutes. Right. Um, and that the work part doesn't have c- control or sanction over uh, it, you it's, know. it's a great idea. No work password. You only see the personal stuff. With the work right. password, you see the work and the personal stuff. So your personal yeah. stuff is always available. So if your phone gets lost, your data is still at risk, but the corporate data isn't. Right. Well, and that works too, I suppose. I mean, where I work recently, we, you know, uh, anybody who's ever worked in any sort of a cube farm knows that one person does something and an enterprise, uh, an email is sent out to the entire enterprise. You know, and and we got one of those emails just recently that uh, my reading between the lines was somebody sent a screenshot to a company for support that happened to include something other than that company's stuff, and they got in big trouble about it. So, like, they captured their whole screen instead of just the one window. Uh, Yeah. You know, that's a big deal. It's like, you know, we, we, you know, it's, it's. Uh, um, you can't have any information leakage of any kind. And that leakage might have simply been, we run Outlook. You know, it might not have been any significant leakage, but that's still right. a big deal. You know, you keep, yeah. the, you keep the silos siloed, and that's the way it goes. Yep. So anyway, last thing uh, that I want to talk about, well, maybe, maybe the last two. Uh, the latest on UEFI. Uh-huh. Um, it's, there's not much to talk about, so it shouldn't go long. <laughs> it's yeah, still killing uh, us. Yes. Well, the Linux Foundation has officially released their um, UEFI boot system. So now 
in Linux, there are two ways to uh, circumvent or not circumvent, but work within UEFI. There's the shim system that we talked about a while back, and then there's um, the Linux Foundation's way. And of course, you know, the shim system was adopted by Fedora, OpenSUSE, and Ubuntu, and the Linux Foundation is kind of new, and it's kind of a different solution to the problem, and uh, it just came out, so it hasn't been adopted by anybody yet. But so, there you go. The Linux Foundation has finally come out with a way to, you kind of circumvent because they didn't sign, but they're providing hashes that you can enter in on your device. Now, just for the just because bad reporting irks me, uh, this article refers to Microsoft Windows 8 UEFI. Okay, no, it it's not a Microsoft uh, uh, feature. They didn't invent it. It has it has almost nothing to do with Windows 8. The only thing, the only way that Windows 8 parallel uh, intersects with it is Microsoft has said we will not uh, have any device considered Windows 8 certified unless it has UEFI. Um, uh, in available and turned on by default, mm-hmm. but right. UEFI has nothing to do with Microsoft. Uh, but but the the Linux zealots out there have vilified it and said that it is something that Microsoft is pushing down people's throats. That's just totally not true. Right, it, UEFI is the is what BIOS will soon be. Right, it, it's the it's the BIOS replacement. It's just so far. Windows is the only people that have it right from when I from my experience at least being able to boot correctly. Well, we, we talked about it last week where if you happen to just try to load up a machine uh, 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 which was what version was it was it Fedora there was a, a version of of, Win, of Linux that if you just even try to boot it up it permanently bricks your device. Oops. It, it was Samsung. Yeah, that was a Samsung, Samsung. model. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, and if so you boot anything but Windows, it it bricks it permanently. Right, and it's not so, UEFI's UEFI's fault. That was Samsung's fault for being colossally stupid. Yep. Uh, yeah, and Toshiba, I think, had another one that was very similar. And, and just and for so the record, that's Lenovo. the purpose. The security uh, features of UEFI. There's a lot more to it. it, it UEFI, UEFI stands for Unified Extensible Firmware Interface, and like Chris said, it's the the great great grandson of BIOS, which has been around a long time, and it's time for it to be replaced. Um, and it's one of the things that it has, one of the many features, is that it can be secured in such a way that the machine will not even boot unless you give it the right credentials. So yep. by definition, it bricks itself if you don't do it right. That's the feature. Um, and people it's have... A painful one. Right. People have glommed onto that feature as, you know, just kind of dumb. For, you can still flash the ROM, and get it back. You haven't ruined your device forever. Uh, you just may have to take the chip out, and not everybody is savvy enough to do that. Um, right. But well, you know, you can painful, take it. Painful thing. Yeah, you could still take it to your local geek, and he could crack it open, take the chip out, and order you another one for twenty bucks, and you're you're fine. It's not going to ruin you forever. It's just a pain in the butt. Internet will tell me I'm wrong about that soon. I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, uh, LinuxQuestions.org released its uh, members' 2012 choice results. What what is that all about? Well, um, obviously the website, LinuxQuestions.org, which is a big Linux uh, fan club kind of portal, they released at the beginning of this year their 
you know, things for like, what's your most favorite desktop distribution, server distribution, you know, a bunch of different categories for the year. And, uh, you know, we'll, uh, I'll throw the link up in the chat room. Now. Already did. Oh, you already did. Okay. Yeah. And they'll be on the, they'll be on our website whenever the show drops. But for example, the, uh, favorite distribution is Slackware. Uh, <laughs> that which, just goes to show you who's using, who's filling this out. First off, it's a tremendously huge sample size of less than a thousand. Right. 981 vo- votes. So this is not exactly uh, data you can take to the bank. Right. But wow. Slackware was number one, uh, and Ubuntu and Mint were two and three pretty close, and then Debian was fourth. Um, so yeah, uh, number. The only, I wish the uh, link we gave, you know, it, it shows a pie chart with representation. I wish it would have thrown some numbers. I couldn't find numbers without going into each category individually. And honestly, that was just too much clicking for me. My uh, hand was getting tired. because. Just, uh, by the way, the fact that Tizen even makes the list shows me how bogus this is. <laughs> Well, you know, it only takes one person to vote, so and it makes the list. Nine hundred eighty people recognize the uh, genius of leaving it off, but you know that one guy, Tizen. <laughs> That's in the the mobile distribution of there. There were only three hundred fifty votes in that right. One. And for database of the year, three hundred eighty five. Postgres and MySQL, no no surprises there. Right. Uh, and the uh, NoSQL database of the year. 77 votes because that's only 77 people in the world who are using a NoSQL database. That's right. 100% sample size right there. Yeah. Uh, MongoDB. Office, yeah, Office Suite was kind of surprising that the LibreOffice size of the pie chart looks exactly like Pikeman. So <laughs> it's, a, it's 85% or more, I'm sure. Right. And, you know, of over 600 people. And Firefox has over 50% of the vote for browser of the year. Uh, KDE was number one in yeah. desktop. That'll make XFE you happy, was, Chris. <laughs> yeah, XFE yes. was number two. And GNOME. Wait, wait, was, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. When XFCE comes in second to KDE and above GNOME, again, these are bad, bad numbers. Yeah, well, you know, GNOME did release GNOME 3 last year, so they deserve <laughs> to be punished. Uh, That's probably but, uh, why they got punished in that one. Um, yeah. I think. A lot. I know a lot of people that have moved completely away from GNOME and into XFCE because of it. They didn't go to KDE. They didn't go LXDE. They went straight to XFCE and stayed there. Unity so, barely even makes the cut. It's there, I, just barely. Yeah, I was surprised it made the cut, actually. Um, but yeah, um, Pigeon was the messaging of the year with about half the vote. Skype was VoIP application of the year. That's because it's the only one that's any good. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, VirtualBox. I mean, hold on, hold on. I'm going to go back to that one, all right? Okay. Akiga is about 20% of the VoIP application of the year. Those are like the only people who've ever gotten Akiga to actually boot. (laughs) Yeah, and work. There's 220 votes in that category, and, and the Akiga team... Uh, represents that other because other than skype there's team speak team speaks okay uh the quality is pretty poor um empathy yeah, I've, used it. I've used it it's okay uh jitsi is there again it's not awesome and and akiga is is number two by a pretty fair margin and i can't figure out why at all 
Well, because it's better than any of those others. Uh, well, I don't know. I no, think no, I'd give TeamSpeak Sorry, the I'll nod. retract. I'll retract. Yeah. I'd give See. TeamSpeak the number two spot if it was me. Well, yeah. Virtualizing um, product kind of makes me look at it weird. I mean, I knew VirtualBox was popular, but I didn't think it was that popular. Yeah, that was. I was surprised with how popular it was. Um, I wonder if the, if, how KVM looks next year because... It, for anyone that's doing virtualizing, if you've never played with KVM, uh-huh. boot up a Fedora install and play with it. It's f- um, it's almost bare metal speeds when you're wow. when you're comparing VirtualBox to KVM virtual machines. They're uh-huh. almost bare metal speeds. Um, I was really surprised. And of course, for video media player, M player, and VLC, take everything. I mean, between the two of them, that's it. Yeah. Um, the rest of them I mean, also ran. Yeah, VLC. You really don't need anything else. Right. It's, and and Empire, too. Yeah. For graphics yeah. application, uh, GIMP is the clear winner. That's because nobody can figure out how to use Inkscape, and Image Magic can't do much but resize icons. Um, <laughs> I like Inkscape. Well, Blender finished either second or third. It's, it was pretty close with Inkscape for two and three. Um, yeah. yeah. That one I've never been able to figure out is Blender. That B- one. Blender... Is outside of yeah. my realm of thinking. It's not for the average person by any means. All right, I think we've we've looked at that one enough. Uh, number, I mean, the nine hundred eighty-one is the largest sample size. All the others are under that. Right. Yeah, some of them get uh, down there. Well, the last one, the open source hardware product of the year, Raspberry Pi. Woo! By <laughs> far and away, the largest. Yes. So. But yeah, I just thought, you know, I'm, we're all about the numbers here at the uh, Element OP Network, so we like <laughs> to throw those out. And I know how much you like them, Mark, so I look for them and I know make a special do. note. I know you do. <laughs> it's uh, it's just for me, because you know, I, I like to call them bogus. I do. Um, right. Anytime anything is, pre- is presented as a percentage, it's total crap. That's undeniable rule of life number 77. Anytime somebody gives you their data in only percentages, it's full of crap. Yeah. it's It's been tinkered with a little bit. Right. And we had a, a 150% growth last year. Okay. So you went from two users to three. Congratulations. Um, anyway. Okay. Yeah. Moving right along to the uh, topic of the week. Hey, we're only an hour in. We're, we're doing great. Um, That's about so, normal. So we're just going to talk about some of the components. And, and interestingly, I think, well, I think that our list here is um, doesn't fall into the realm of the everyday user, right? Everyday Linux is the name of the show. Right. This is geek stuff, all right? Most geek people aren't going to have their own media server. They're not. They're they're either going to use Netflix, uh, or they're going to have a bunch of DVDs laying around. Right. Um, yeah. I wish people would, and I wish somebody would sell one that was good. <laughs> I would buy it. Um. But there's just there's just not yet. And file servers. Most people don't have files. I don't have a file server. I, I just share. I use. I just share my stuff between hard drives. I don't have a file. I, I have, have a. a I have a file server, and it is a USB cord that right. connects to my <laughs> external drive. That's my file server, yeah. so it's very portable. I'm about as heavy a geek as you can get, and I don't have a file server. I used to way back, 
but I've outsourced that to the cloud now. So we'll talk about that. So let's start with with everybody's favorite perimeter device, the firewall. And and we get the, every time we do a show about this, we get the question in some form or another: Can I do? Uh, can I use this box with these specs? And they're always very specific to do a firewall and a file server, or to do a firewall and a media server. There is no and where a firewall is concerned ever. Yep. It is a single purpose box that does nothing else. If you do anything right. else with it, it's no longer an effective firewall. That's right. that's my hard stance on it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, I wouldn't even virtualize my, uh, you know, in a test environment, that's fine. But for actual perimeter, you, I wouldn't even virtualize it. Just have have a cheap box to be your firewall. Um, yeah, and in my case, go, to, or go ahead. I was, say, I was gonna say, especially when you can go to Geeks. Uh, I think it's Geeks.com, and they have like a hundred and twelve dollar machine that would be more than adequate to run a firewall right that's it right yeah and you know like my home network is it's small enough i just use my my wireless router has my firewall you could run a solid enterprise grade stateful packet inspection firewall on a raspberry pi yeah my old netbook i could do that big time so it 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 doesn't have to be a big I often get this, you know, I've got this old spare machine, it's 150 megahertz Pentium uh with, you know, with a couple of 10 meg drives in it uh or a couple of 10 meg uh network cards in it would that work? Sure. That'll be fine. I might upgrade yeah. those network cards. Uh but but yeah, don't worry. It doesn't Unless take you live in the country, that's more than that's more than enough. <laughs> right. I would say, yeah, I would I would upgrade the internal card, but the external card, you know, 10 megs would be more than adequate right? for most places. Not for me. Unless, of course, you're super speedy Mark yes. with his, what, 15 synchronous? No, I have 35 down and 5 up. Oh, you suck. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Let's not be ridiculous about it now. Um, wait, wait, let me rephrase that. Up to... 35 down and five. Oh well up two okay i'm sorry oh, i oh, have no, up no, two okay now okay you, you said the magic words up two. yeah uh no, routinely i get 30 which is kind of cool um but anyway and i pay by the way uh when you call up if you're if you're a guy like me and you're producing content uh the upstream is important like right now i've got two video feeds going out to the internet plus two skype feeds going out um, so the upstream is pretty important. It's the most important part. Downstream is important for your web browsing, all the sorts. But for what I do, the upstream is important. You call somebody up and you say, I want your package with the highest upstream. They don't even know what you're talking about. Most uh, of the times, yeah. Yeah, it's like, okay, no, Sad. no. Let's let's go to the specs here. There's two numbers there. There's a big number and a slash little number. What's the little number? And then they want to tell me, no, no. All I want to know is what's the little number? Give me the yep. biggest little number you can get. But that's neither here nor there. Um, so let's talk about the firewall. The Boris okay. box, we've talked about this before. Do it. There's no excuse not to. Do not trust the little Linksys box at all. Um, no, I would, I'm, and I will actually stand up and say, if you're even a first-person shooter gamer type person, don't trust the speeds from that little Linksys box either. Right. Um, for example, in my house, I'm running... Um, a Boris box and 
our ping rates when I have three people in my network all playing the same game are higher now than what they were when I was running through just a standard little blue box. Right. Now, if you get, you know, a cheap Linksys or Cisco or whatever router, a Belkin box, uh, if you can put the Tomato firmware on it or the DDWRT firmware on it, you will get a lot better performance and a lot better security out of it. But yeah. even then, that I don't think that's the way to go. I think that if you're a geek and if you're asking this question, you know, if you're listening to this show, you need to buy, you need to build a Boris box. It's not hard. You no. need a computer with with minimal specs and two and, network cards and two network cards and i recommend 100 megabits at least um just because you know uh, let's let's talk about that now if you've got a gigabit card on both sides of your land uh, of your your uh firewall and you have a a 10 megabit internet connection you're going to get 10 megabits because the traffic inside your network doesn't go through the firewall doesn't go through the router uh, it, at most, it looks it up to get IP tables and MAC addresses, but it doesn't right. actually go through it. So you don't need anything faster than 100 megabits at all. Um, you know, 10. The reason I say don't use 10 is because most of those were built with a half duplex and the technology was just older. So, yeah. um, you know, 100 megabits or, or better, which is, you know, any card you're going to buy anywhere is going to be 100 megabits or better. So if you've got an old card, uh, an old machine with a 10 meg card and it upgrade that, you know, because it's probably most likely like an ISA socket or something like that, and it's just old technology that isn't going to serve you well. Right. Yeah. That was, I had my super heavy geeky pants on there for just a moment. <laughs> if you didn't understand any of that, that's okay. You're the everyday guy. Uh, but just go get a box, the cheapest one that they have at Micro Center, you know, or or go to your local uh, computer geek. There's somebody in your town, no matter how small your town is, that has a hand-painted sign out front that says computer repair. And if neither like of those me. words <laughs> if neither of those words are misspelled, go to that guy uh, and say, I want a box I can use for a firewall. And he'll know what you mean. And he'll probably go ahead and put the software on it for you. What software should you use? Let's talk about that. Sure. Well, and I just want to say, too, that, you know, if you live out in the country and you can't find anyone, you can go to like, you know, Amazon, Tiger Direct, Newegg, uh, whatever, and get one of those hundred dollar Windows XP machines with an eighty gig hard drive. You know, that's been repurposed or refurbished, and again, that's more than enough power for you. Get a refurbished Dell somewhere off of eBay for fifty bucks. It'll be yeah. fun. Yeah. So uh, it doesn't take much. Seth, what's your favorite firewall hardware? Uh, well, I love Untangle. Uh, that for me, that's whenever I play around with firewalls. That's just that done everything for me that I've needed. Untangle is it, great. It's yeah. uh, I, uh, Untangle.com, I believe, is the site. It is yes. a combination open closed source product. Uh, freemium. Yep. It's that's a, the yeah, term I like. Freemium product that you can get the full on free version, which uses only open source products, is great. And and more yep. than you'll need at home, it's it's good enough for an enterprise. It really is. Uh, yep. I I ran the fully free, no paid version of Untangle uh, behind fifteen hundred computers without any issue at all. Yep. Yeah. The only thing that I would think maybe to get the paid version for is um, if you get the paid module, you can also act it 
has a like a gateway device to two separate networks. So if you wanted to have cable uh, and DSL, you could join them both to an Untangled box. You can't do that with the free version. Yep. My complaint yep. about Unhang- Untangle is it tends to be heavy. You're yeah. not going to run Untangle on that $50 refurbished Dell you bought from, from eBay. Not well, effectively. Well, it depends on how many users are going to be behind it. If you only got 10 people behind it, that refurbished Dell would probably be okay. But if you got any more than 10, 10 devices behind it, yeah, it's going to be too heavy to, to handle it. And, and that's the key word there. You said devices, right? So, yep. again, I'm a, I'm a proto geek. Uh, but I've got four laptops, a desktop, uh, three tablets, uh, and two cell phones in my house. Now, yeah. granted, they're not all accessing the internet at the same time, but that tends to tax the like the little Linksys box. You know, it has a right. hard time with that. And mm-hmm. a cheap uh, box running on Tangle is gonna is gonna have a hard time with that. But the, that same cheap box running some of these other guys we're going to talk about will be okay. So just just say because Untangle tends to be really easy. They've they've really spent a lot of time and effort on the the graphical uh, interface of it and yep. on making it really point and click easy. It's very well documented. Because of that it tends to be heavier. That's my only complaint yeah. about. It. Other than that it's an awesome piece of software. Yeah, I um I I will stand up for Untangled too. It's I'm running it at my school and I love the thing. But we got it on a we're uh, the well, I don't remember what they what they call the top of their premium chart. Right. For uh, I yeah, the school bought the top of the premium chart. We have three lines in being load balanced, all caching with the yeah, we we we're using every every ounce of that little box that we can. Wow. Yeah, it and, is probably tied to your AD server and and uh, authenticating yep. every uh, user that goes through it and all that good stuff, right? Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. And if you're set up through it, you know, if you're an authenticated user, you have more access to the internet than a guest. And we have it. I mean, I've spent probably three and a half months straight configuring that box to set it up the way we want it. Um, nobody gets anywhere unless we say so. Right. Uh, that's that's the way we wanted it. And we, and with that kind of setup, you're probably paying on the neighborhood of eight bucks a user. I, I don't remember the number off the top of my head because they because it's an educational they gave a huge discount. Um, I think it's like over fifty percent off. Yeah, that, I'm, I'm, that's, like that. I'm just going to guess that you're probably paying about eight bucks a user per year for that. So if you if you got uh, a, a small number of users and a big budget, you can do that. If you got a big mm-hmm. number of users and a small budget, you're going to run into some trouble with that. Um, so Chris, uh, what do you use at home and what, or what would you, what's your favorite to use at home? Um, I'm torn between these two and I'm going to say them both because I'm, I am torn between them. Um, and I like them both about the same, but currently I'm running PF sense and it's been my, uh, defending whatever you want to call it, proxy server with transparent caching and content filtering and you name it, it does it. Um, I'm really impressed with it. It, it's it's kind of a beast to get into. The interface is kind of wonky to play with. It's really hard to configure. But once you get it configured, the thing just purrs. And I have had probably – I've had to reboot it once since I put it in. And I love the thing. And that's PF and S-E-N-S-E. Yep. PF Sense. Um. It's it's a good one. I uh, it's uh, 
it's a, a little more technical than I generally like to to encourage normal people to use. Yeah, like I said, it's it's a really Spartan interface. I mean, it, it's it's very uh, you have to know what you need in order to run it. Um, if you're just trying to throw something together to protect your network, you're in, it's too much configuring for a user that just wants it to work. Um, you could get it to work with a little bit of, of effort, but definitely, if you're going to run PFSense, read the manuals, sit in the forum or in the the IRC channel for a little bit, and ask your questions before you start playing with it. Yeah. Uh, and then your next one, uh, your next favorite is I'm going to say a smooth wall, right? Yep. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. I've actually donated the smooth wall project. Even. Um. PFSense is going to get my donation here soon. Um, smooth wall is great. Things. Love it. Uh, yeah, it's user friendly. It's solid. It has enterprise. You can do a VPN on it with your corporate land back at work if you need to. Um, it's really good. I use a derivative of it called IPCOP. As often yep. happens in the o- open source world, a group of people said, well, I'm just going to take my code and go home. And they forked it and created IPCOP. I like IPCOP better because it's a little more user friendly than Smoothwall. It's designed more for the novice user in mind. Yep. Uh, having said that, it's easier to misconfigure your system because they give you more control. Uh, yeah. But that's the one I like is the derivative of it called IPCOP, both of which you can drop in um, a squid. Actually, they come with a squid proxy, and you could drop in a script that I talked about in the, the show where I ranted against open source called Dan's Guardian, um, mm-hmm. which is uh, free for, for home use. Um, uh, or if you're running a Debian-based distro, they paid for it, so you can use that the full-on version uh it's a it's a, a high quality uh content um classification system i don't even want to call it a filter uh it analyzes the the pay, uh, web page as it comes in dynamically uh does a simple word uh, uh calculation of it ha- what word does it have in it what weight value am i going to give that word when i add all those values up what number do i get based on your setting is this page allowed or not that's that's really how it goes and you can do multiple levels based on device or based on user so different people can have different numbers you can have negative words like the word breast might be worth 20 points the word cancer might be worth negative 20 points so if breast and cancer appear in the page it's a neutral page you know there's there's all kinds of ways you can tweak it and there's all sorts of blacklists out there that have already been tuned you can just yeah. download them they cost you uh, nothing uh, and then you just tweak them to be uh, the way you like it. Uh, it is noisy yeah. at first, as most of those systems are. Untangle is the same way. You start out getting a lot of block pages, and then you start right. fine tuning it, and then you forget it's there. Yeah, that's and that's why all of these are going to be any of these firewall things are the same way. They're going to be loud and noisy and in your way, but then as you tinker on the configuration pages, it gets better. So there's the the top three, four, if you count IPCOP and, and SmoothWall as two different ones. Uh, um, firewalls out there. Just go do it. Just go do it. Yeah. Um, There's no reason not to. Right. I mean, yeah, if, and- if, if I had a student set one up for his home um, last year, and he actually even taught his parents what to do in case something happened and, he needed to, and they had to go in and unblock something. And his parents were like, oh, that's all I got to do? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and all three yeah. of them come with an install disk. You download an ISO, you burn it to a CD or you or pen drive or whatever. It 
configures the machine, take, takes it over, does it for you, which is another reason why you can't use that machine for something else. It's designed to take over the whole machine. Right. Just because that's what you should do with a firewall. Um, well, yeah. And they're, they're really, if you can install any software, you can do this. Yeah. And, you know, and like I know you can, you can run some of them even has a live CD if you wanted to. Right. You know, just so that way it's only there if you want it to be or, or whatever. So the annoying thing about that is a power failure loses all the settings and you got to start yep. over again. Right. So but that's it has for trying it out. To, yeah. Yeah. Has a way to test. Like, I wonder if I would like this. You spin it up and see. And if you don't like it, then you just eject the CD and you didn't like configure anything, right. you know? Now let's let's move on to the file server range. Now let me tell you before we go uh, any farther. Here's the way I do file serving at my house. I pick the machine with the biggest laptop, regardless of OS, and I share the drive. Boom, done. <laughs> That's the way I do file serving. If it's Linux, I set up Samba so that the Windows machines can get it. If it's Windows, the Linux machines can get to it via Samba. Um, I just share it, and you're done. I don't. Yeah. I don't think the average family network needs a file server but if you need that what we're talking about here is a headless box that sits over in the corner not a machine that's going to be used for something else uh just generally speaking so when we say file server that's what we're talking about it's a box that doesn't do anything else now as i said i don't use that i, I multi-purpose my machines whatever machine i've got whatever it's doing i make it also a file server which is easy in any os out there even Macs make it easy Yep. Little, little it's all there. pretty much point and yeah. click in a in a standard OS. So um, now let's move on to if you want to put a box without a monitor or a keyboard, just a headless chunk of metal over there in the corner, stacked on top of your your Boris box. What do you do? Chris likes Unraid. Tell us about it. Um, well, Unraid is a simple to use and simple to configure device that for for free they let you do. Uh, two drives and then a parity drive of any size. It doesn't matter what the sizes of all of those drives are, but they let you do those three for free. And then if you want more drives for bigger storage and fax, faster access by adding a cache drive, they ask for, I think it's $39 for their premium version. So, I mean, it's a cheap software to once, buy. not annually. Yeah, once, one time. Yeah. Um, it, it's a cheap software. It runs from a thumb drive. So as long as it, you're... Bor you're not we, we need to figure out a name instead of Boris box so for file server. Um but we you know just a standard horseman. desktop. <laughs> the headless horseman, yeah. But um as long as it can boot from a USB device, you can run Unraid. And same thing with the other ones that we'll talk about later. Um yeah. but I like Unraid. It, it's I don't know if the, how big the development team is because they seem to be in betas a long time between releases. Um, so I don't know if there's a, a heavy development team behind it, but I know um, the first issue I've ever had with it is currently going on, which is why we're going to set up a secondary one at work to mirror the, the file server. But right. um, the guy's been right there on top of every question. I, I you know, get a log file and send it into him. I get an email back within minutes telling me, okay, try this now. Do this. Clear this. Blah, blah, blah. Um, he's straightforward. Uh, so the support is excellent. And he never even asked for my license key for support. He just said, okay, here we go. Let's get this thing fixed. 
And he even said if there's a problem uh, with file recovery, if, if we have to get into the point of file recovery, he'll, he'll walk me through how to do file recovery even. So, wow. yeah, I, I really like the Unraid guys. Their forum is fairly active. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of them as well at this time. Uh, and they're simple. If you, if you set up the firewall above, you can set up Unraid. It's just as easy. Now, let's talk a little bit before we go further. All of these things that we're going to talk about are primarily set up to be RAID boxes. Yep. RAID is an, uh, an acronym that originally stood for Redundant Array of Inexpensive Disks. And since the word inexpensive is a, um, a nebulous term, a moving target, they've changed the name to run Redundant Array of Independent Disks. Um, yep. What that means is you have to have a minimum of two, because it's got to be an array, Um and using different technologies, depending on how many disks or di- how many RAID levels you got, there's 0, 1, 3, 5, 6, 10, 60, 50, you know, there's, there's all kinds of different ways to run a RAID. But all of them have the same basic thing uh, in mind. Data is copied to, across more than one disk so that it can be recovered. Yep. The simplest one is called a RAID 0, which is just whatever's on one disk is copied to the other disk. So you lose one disk, you're fine. The other one's there. Yeah, actually, otherwise, uh, known as RAID zero is not true RAID. No, no. It is just yeah. it just splits it. RAID yeah. one is a mirror. Okay, RAID yeah. zero. Uh, RAID zero is a JBOD, right? Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. a strip. It's a stripe. What a JBOD is, and it's my personal favorite. JBOD is just a bunch of disks. JBOD, um, which means you can put any disk of any size in. And it stripes across it, and you'd think so. You've got uh, a 50 gig disks uh, disk laying around that was a, an old spare, a hundred gig disk, and then you go out and buy a three terabyte disk. You pop the new three terabyte disk in. It says okay, and now you've got a bigger drive. Mm-hmm. Um, you go get uh, what, you find a, an old 10 meg laying around. You pop that in. Okay, now you've got a bigger drive. Trouble there is there's no protection. Yep. Uh, if any one of those fails, you lose all of it. Which Unraid is based on, but they use a parity drive for data safety. Right. Now, parity, I don't want to get too much into that, but basically, uh, in, in any mathematical, in, in any binary calculation, the sum is either one or zero because mm-hmm. the computers work on binary. Those are the only two digits. So what a, what a parity drive is, is it adds up all the bits across the, uh, the disks, and the sum is either one or zero. It writes that on another disc on the parity disc so that if, if a disc is missing it can add them all up and whatever it gets to if it does if it equals one it knows it's good if it equals zero it knows it has to add a bit somewhere to get it to one so that that's that's a super oversimplification of what raid does and that's how you can get data what they call it striped across multiple discs the beauty of raid is you can lose a disc RAID 5 or above, you can lose a disk and fine. RAID 6, you can lose two disks and things yep. keep running. It regenerates the data for you. I'm not saying that you don't lose data. I'm saying you don't notice the disk is gone. It builds the data on the fly. Yep. That's cool. And any of these systems will do that. Um, on RAID, the next one we're going to talk about is OpenFiler. OpenFiler is based on CentOS, if I remember correctly. Right, Chris? Yes. As far uh, as I know, it is. And it's... Uh, it's just another way of doing things. It's it's a it's a an interface for um, stacking disks in whatever figure configuration you want. Yep. 
you want to talk any more about that? Because I know you've used it pretty heavily. Uh, well, I'm not open filer. I have. Oh, not. you haven't? Okay. Um, no, um, Unraid's the, the one I've been jumping all over lately. Okay. Um, open filer ver, or FreeNAS is the third one that we were going to bring up. Uh, those are the two I've been playing with to see who's going to be the mirror for Unraid. FreeNAS is the one I have the most experience with. F R E E N A S. Um, and it is designed not can it run on a uh, on a usb stick it is designed to run a usb stick um and so a lot of a lot of machines were built for a while i don't know if they still do where they have like an internal usb port so you you don't have to have a little stick sticking out mm-hmm. you open up the case you put it inside there you're done so you have you don't use any of your space for the os so uh, OpenFiler, as I, if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I used it, it uses some of the space of your disks for itself. Uh, and and on OpenFiler, uh, excuse me, FreeNAS can do that, but it's designed not to do that. So you pop a little two meg USB, two megs. You can get those with a pack of gum these days. No um, kidding. Uh, you pop a little two meg uh, card in with, un, uh, with FreeNAS loaded on it, then you use all of your disks for data. So the OS runs on the on the uh, flash drive, and all your disks are for data. And I have used it in the enterprise scenario, and it works. It's fast. It's easy. It's fluid. It's great. Uh, and in fact, I, I suspect a lot of the boxes you buy at like Tiger Direct or whatever that are NAS boxes are probably running some variation of this software on them. Um, it's really good. It's got a, a web-based interface that's really easy to use, and it can do any of the raid variations i talked about uh or the jbod whatever you want to do you just got to make your call there uh it depends on how you want to use it so like when i was talking about raid because one of those discs is used for parity you don't get to use it for storage so if you've got three one terabyte drives you only have two terabytes of storage because one of them is taken up for parity if you set them up in a jbod array you can use three terabytes but there's no parity one one goes down you lose all of them yep and if you're setting up a file server, you don't want that in general to start with. You don't want to do just a bunch of disks. You want to have that redundant re, uh, recovery. Right. But do not mistake that for backup. RAID is not a backup. It is a, it is a resilient storage for primary data location. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's hard to bring a RAID down, but it's not hard to accidentally delete something off a of RAID. And having having the as many stripes as you want won't help if you accidentally yeah. delete something. So you still need a solid backup server. Yeah, or if your um, if your backplane goes out on your server that is your box running RAID, then, then all that. of a sudden it doesn't matter how many disks or what configuration you had when the box don't go. So backup, backup, backup is very important. Let me say it again. I cannot reiterate this enough. Backing up is very important. And next week, probably next week, if we don't get sidetracked, we're going to do an episode on one of my favorite tools called Backup PC. Uh, We did a Taiwan Tech episode on it way back. Uh, But we're going to talk about overall backup strategies and then talk about what I think is the best backup solution in the world, bar none, that also happens to be free and runs on Linux. (gasps) You don't say. So we'll we'll talk about that uh, next week. So uh, anything else about file servers, guys? You know, they're they're another thing that is nice to have. Um, 
and we're going to talk about media servers in a second, which pl can play into a file server. Um, that's where my home server comes into plays. Um, I actually have my BoxyBox. I think it's Bo no, not a BoxyBox. I don't know what device I have out there, but it's actually pointed to my file server, and I have all my DVDs backed up there. Right. Now, that's uh, you can make these things do dual purpose. Your media server can be your file server. Okay? Yep. Your file server probably can't be your media server. <laughs> little cyclic redundancy there. Um, if you, if it depends on what the OS is designed to do. So let's talk about media servers. That is um, your television, your movies, your YouTube, your Netflix, your Vudu, your Amazon Prime, all that stuff, whatever you want, in one place, so that you can watch stuff wherever you want to watch it, whenever you want to watch it. So that's your media server. You can aggregate media servers. You can have more than one, you know, hooked up, or you can set things up so that it can stream anywhere. But we'll just talk about that a little bit um, uh, from the beginning. I'm going to start with my um, used to be favorite. Now I don't like them anymore. And that's Boxy. Uh, Boxy was an open source project based on XBMC, which we'll talk about in a minute. Was really high quality, um, supported by the Boxy company, B-O-X-E-E. -E. Uh, they produce some great stuff. They use the open source community to help them build a good product. Then they dumped them and started selling boxes with their now proprietary software on it. Um, yep. And they don't support it anymore. They don't do any back channel support. They don't do. They don't help the community anymore. They took the work of the community. They put it in their box. They added some of their secret sauce to it. And now they sell only boxes. And it pissed me off. Yep. And now I don't use them anymore. Yeah, that's you know I thought that was a pretty bad mood of, in my opinion for Boxy. The 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 Boxy box um I played with it a lot. I never actually put it into my my house, but I really liked the way that they were, you know, using the community to do all the to do all this extra work and to get things working and then they pooped on the community and darn it that stinks. Um Now having said that, the software they created is darn good. Yeah. Um, and I, you can run it on Windows or Linux, uh, and it will, it's got, uh, the Linux version anyway, has a, a, um, a BitTorrent client in there. So if you're the type of person who likes to BitTorrent things, you could type in, say, oh, Stargate SG1, and it'll go out and scan the web and find all instances of Stargate SG1 and download it for you and categorize it and archive it and give you a nice clickable menu you where you click on Stargate SG1 and there's every episode uh, with uh, album art and a description of the episode and it's freaking awesome. It's also not legal. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, I use it for used it for my media and I still have it on my machine uh, because as we'll talk about in a minute, they all have little glitches in my experience yes. and none of them works really well. So I keep on my little box. I have more than one because sometimes I have a movie that boxy decides it doesn't want to play today, but XBMC will, but XBMC won't play it tomorrow and neither will boxy, but VLC will. So I play it on VLC. Uh, so, uh, the, the idea of those is a, as a, a unified interface for all your media, your music, your video. Uh, some of them include, uh, eBooks, uh, mm -hmm. what what else am I overlooking? Yeah, I think you got most of it. Yeah, so uh, Boxy is very video-centric, kind of sucks for audio. 
their yep. their audio player is terrible. You can't even shuffle across albums. You pick an album, you play that album in order. That's kind of lame. Yeah. That um, really, that's really bad. <laughs> XBMC is better, and it's what I'm using right now. I have a little box. It's a um, Asus, uh, Acer Aspire Revo little box that I bought several years ago, about five years ago. A $200. They were calling them net top boxes. You remember those? The net yeah. tops? Yeah. Um, they were a little uh, Atom processor uh, with two gigs of RAM. And uh, it doesn't take much to do this. All you need is a hardware-accelerated video chip. And they had the NVIDIA ION chipset in them. Yep. Um, and it works really well. It doesn't handle Flash at all. So even though YouTube is, in, is integrated, I can't watch YouTube or Hulu or any of those things that use Flash. Um, it's got uh, Silverlight. I can run. Uh, I can watch Netflix on it. It's okay. It's not great. Uh, I find that my DVD player that comes that had Netflix built into it works better, uh, but it's all your stuff in one place at your at the tip of your remote. And I bought a little. Uh, it's called China Vision. It was five bucks. It's a US. Uh, it's a, a USB infrared remote that mimics a mouse uh, or infrared oh. sensor rather that came with a remote. So the the uh, infrared sensor plus the remote was five bucks after shipping was eight. I nice. bought it. I bought it off of elementop.com slash Amazon. Uh, it sits on, <laughs> sits up on top of my computer, uh, on, on my television rather, uh, my universal remote control. It recognized it and controls it. And so when I move the left, right, up, down buttons on my remote, it, uh, translate that as a mouse movement. And when I click, uh, the okay button on my remote, it translates that as hitting enter. Uh, or clicking the mouse button, uh, or if I hit, there's a the exit I, is what I have it on mine. It's a right click. So anything you can do with a mouse, you can do with this little thing, and it's dirt cheap. So if you're going to have a media center, I highly recommend you do one of those. I'm going to stop talking now, Chris. Tell us about Plex. Um, well, I wish I could say more about Plex than I can. It's one of those things that I've been meaning to play with. Um, it's a complete media solution. The uh, it, it's kind of built into a lot of different solutions. Um, the Roku uses it to, to translate information back and forth. Um, yeah, I, I've been meaning to set up a, a Plex box and to really dig down into it because I really like the way they do things. Um, but I just haven't. It, it's time. Uh, honestly, I just haven't had the time to play with it. But they do support a lot of different things. Um, the biggest one is that they do hook up to most of the, you know, gaming consoles like Xbox and PlayStation Three. They hook up to my Roku, and then they they pretty much get everything. Um, it's kind of a neat little device. It does play on most of the, uh, pretty much on every operating system that they have: Windows, Mac, Linux, uh, and the, it's just one of those things that it's on my to-do list to play with. And it seems to cover most of the things that I need it to cover, but I just haven't had the time to play with it. By the way, I'm putting in the chat room, and if I remember, I'll put it in the show notes as well, a link to the Amazon uh, thing that I bought. It's gone up a little bit since I bought it. It's now 9 bucks, uh, But it's perfect for controlling a media center PC uh, with whatever of these softwares you put on it. Hey, yeah. can y'all hear me now? Yeah. Um, a guy I work with, he uses... 
multiplex and he has it set up and uh, streaming from his house via a web interface so he can like watch it at work or wherever he travels and you know he has access to his full media collection and he, it's integrated with TiVo so he can TiVo something at his house and then stream it via Plex and um, and watch it wherever he's at. It's a really cool interface, and he he's been telling me a little bit. You know, it takes some setting up and some configuring, but it's really awesome. And so, you know, he's like ripped his DVD movies and things like that to it, so he has access to all of that. And it goes out. It did an auto discovery, and um, he did this over the web from work. He was just showing showing off what it could do. It did an auto discovery of the stuff he had. One of the things was wrong, so then he uh, he he fixed it and did like a rediscovery and then it pulled the right information. Like I think it was a Batman thing. So it it was really cool. Yeah. It's a, it's a, the, what got me started going down the media center road was I had kids. I'm a movie buff. I have uh, something like 280 different DVDs. Yeah. A lot of them. Wow. Um, And uh, I, I had a kid and a kid and a DVD equals a kid with no more DVD. Uh, they right. scratch them, they spill stuff on them, whatever. So they now snap them. they break them. Yeah. Now when I buy a DVD, the very first thing I do is rip it using a uh, handbrake. I throw it on my media server. I put the physical DVD away and I never touch it again, except maybe for a few rare occasions when we're going on a, a road trip and we want to take some movies with us. Uh, but the way I've got my DVD, uh, my media center set up is like the, the portable hard drive that uh, Seth showed you. I've got three, because I've filled them up over, over time, three USB hard drives plugged into my little box. And that's my media center. So I can pull any one of those with me anywhere I want to go and take a oh, hundred or so movies with me that I can play on my laptop or whatever. They're just ripped as MP4. Anything will play an MP4. I can put them on the iPad. I can put them on my phone. I can put them uh, on any computer. Uh, And it's just really a great way to go if you're willing to invest the time and effort. Now, it took me a long time to rip those original 200-plus movies um, because it's uh, it's roughly real time. A two-hour movie Mm -hmm. takes roughly two hours to do it, give or take. Um, right. But I had the lugs. I had the benefit of working in a school with hundreds of computers around me. So during the summer, when there were nobody around, I would go into a lab with 25 computers, load each of them up with a DVD, push the go button, and then I'd let them go. I'd come back at lunch, pull them all off, put 25 more in, push the go button, and then come back at the end of the day, and do it again. And so I got it done in record time. <laughs> That's cheating, Mark. That's cheating. Yes, it is. And by the way, just because you know, I want to make sure that we're uh, clear about this. What I've done makes me a felon. Yes, under the federal copyright, U.S. copyright laws, um, circumventing the encryption on a DVD is a felony offense. So you're, you know, do it at your peril. But the, every movie I have is one I bought. Yeah, as you know, and you know, you could probably fight off the copyright infringement thing if you can prove that it's never left your control, and you have DV physical DVDs to back it to prove that you have purchased each one of them. Right, but And I do. Uh, we don't endorse that as a VDL. 
Uh, and then another box there is, uh, it, it's a hardware box. This is not software you can download, and that's the Roku. Yep. Uh, I have a Roku. Two different models. They're either 50, uh, 100 or 150, or is it 50 and 100? No. There's there's three different models. Okay. There's the 45, the 75, and then the 100. Okay. Uh, the big difference between it, all three of them is the different outs that you can have. Um, the cheapest one is just internet-driven only. And then the middle one is you can stick in USB or flash uh, the little card, uh, micro SD cards. Uh, and then the top of the line has all of the above plus HDMI and a motion sensor remote for any of the games in the Roku store. But uh, So that's Roku, not open so source. It's not something you can do yourself, but it's pretty cheap and gives you a, a yeah. big bang for the buck. Oh yeah, big big bang. Um, for what I can do with it right now, um, my Amazon Instant Video, which, from what I understand, nobody else does that I found does that as well as it does on the Roku. Um, I just gave it my Amazon credentials and all my stuff that my purchased, all my Prime videos are all available to me, uh, which is cool. Uh, Netflix, no problem with Netflix. And then they give you like 300 web-centric channels that you can just download or subscribe to that are shortcuts to, say, the Sci-Fi Channel or Major League Baseball. Um, those are all channels that you can either – I think most of them are subscribe channels. But if you're a big baseball guy, for $8 a month or less, you can have baseball on your Roku without – any more issues right yeah i didn't mention that about boxy that's one of their big things is the apps the the boxy yep. apps where um there you know there's a pandora app there's a major league baseball app there's a national league hockey app now that they're finally playing again um there's uh apps for abc television every these guys are finally starting to get into the if you can't beat them join them uh sadly there's no nfl app yet i would you know now the ml the major league baseball app is like a hundred bucks a year you know, it's expensive, yeah. uh, but at least you can get it. You know, right. if you're a Chicago uh, fan and you live in Florida, you know, it's worth it to you. Yeah. Well, and that's just like, you know, if, if you're a direct direct TV person and you have direct TV with Sunday ticket, you know, why can't we get a Roku or a boxy application for Sunday ticket? You know, I don't personally see a difference there too much. It's all about licensing. So I know. Uh, we could talk about this for a while, but we're vo we're bordering on mini series status now. Uh, <laughs> this this one is is fighting for um, the distinction of being the longest show we've ever done. Uh, well, so, but we've covered three different topics right. in the same shot. So, so that uh, Richard, <laughs> I hope you got your money's worth on this one. You ask our thoughts about a home network, and we just puked information all over you. Uh, and I hope it was uh, value. I know we didn't give you any how tos about that. Um, There's too I, many yeah. variables. There's too many variables to even give a, an adequate how to. I mean, the, between the three of us, we could easily go through, click this button, click that button, and you have that thing set up. And now you have to configure it. Um, that's how most of those work yeah so uh if you have questions and i know you do um send us uh email at 
edl at elementop.com. If you uh, have only seen this show, found us on YouTube, for example, and don't know about any of our others, go to elementop.com. Check out the other shows we do there. Uh, if you want to uh, want your voice to be heard in a literal way, you can leave us a voicemail at 559-IAM-OP, and we will play it on the air. Or you can even, uh, go, if you're too lazy to even dial a phone, um, go to our website, use the leave us a voicemail widget at the top of the page, uh, enter your phone number, Google Voice will call you, and you can speak your mind. There uh, you go. We have the forums, we have the uh, uh, Google Plus community, any number of ways uh, you can contact. And by the way, uh, Richard, uh, who started... Uh, it is Richard, right? Richard Jordan. I'm terrible with names, but I'm pretty sure that's who it was. Um, uh, for, uh, sent us this request over our Google Plus community, the Element Open community on Google Plus. Find us there yep. if you're a Plus user. Um, there's uh, a fair amount of communication going on there. Or we've got forums on our website if you're a forum kind of guy. You could do that, again, at elementop.com. Now, having said all that, uh, what are our tips of the week, guys? Mr. Chris Neves, the command line godfather, what's the command line of the week? Today's command line is HTOP. Now, uh, we've talked about TOP before, and that's a, a nice little thing to figure out what's going on with your system. But HTOP is kind of top on steroids. It gives you a lot more information, uh, not only processor, RAM use, and, and such, but it also gives you a more descriptive viewing of what processes are using what r- amount of RAM and process time? Uh, it was sh- I forgot about this tool, and I'd been using Top forever. And someone pointed out, "Well, just run HTOP. You can see the thing." And I'm like, "Oh, right. I forgot about HTOP." <laughs> so yeah, it, it's a more powerful version of, of Top, and it's kind of handy when you're trying to figure out what's eating your system alive. Have you done NTOP yet? For networking, yeah, yeah, okay, uh, mm-hmm. not as a command line tip, but I, I've that was going to be one later. Look, look for that in future episodes, uh, Seth. If I want to buy some uh, 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 Ferris wheels for my backyard, have you got a tip for me this week? Well, not for Ferris wheels. We'll have to go back in the archives and oh, find darn. that. But if you want to buy a small sports aircraft, you can check out the fine folks at uh, sonexaircraft.com, the sports aircraft reality check. And they have several different models to choose from. And prices are, you know, like less than what you would pay for a car. So um, on up to, but, you know, if, if you've got enough money to buy a, a car and I'm not talking like a Jaguar or a McLaren, but just like, you know, if you're going to go buy a Nissan or a Hyundai and you're like, but I would rather have a plane. Well, sonexaircraft.com and you can check out the options they have there. I came across it this week and I thought, hey, this would be a great tip for the Element OP faithful. I love the One X. That's my personal favorite. The wings fold up so it can fit in a standard garage or parking space. This is truly yeah. the aircraft for the commuter. Yes. That is awesome. So That is awesome. You know, it, it seats two, I think, maybe just one. Um, I think it depends on the, the person. Like, yeah. it would fit one of me. Um, the cockpit width is 27 inches, so my big butt's not going in there. Um, it holds 15 gallons of fuel, so you're not going to go very far. Uh, but uh, you, you pop in that sucker, and you fly it to work. And then you fold up the wings and you park it in the parking lot. How cool is that? Yeah, and I you hope need you have a big enough parking lot. 
Yeah, you don't need like a full blown pilot's license. It can get like a a recreational class C or something. I found it on one of the pages and looked. So yeah, any of these these are all considered experimental. And so if you want to die in your own experimental aircraft, then you don't have to have a license for that. Yeah. So you know, there you go. So there were some guys where I used to live that used to fly ultralights, which is like a kite with a with a uh, an engine on it. Weed, yeah, a weed eater engine. Yeah, and those things were super cool, and they could you could they they look like they're going to fall out of the sky. They're barely moving, uh, and they would fly around. And I used to think, man, I want to get one of those, but I'm not ultralight material because I'm heavy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too too heavy to be ultralight. Um, all right, that's our show this week. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week on another episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.